Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Rev. Paul John Roach. So, hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you today from Fort Worth in Texas. It's the end of June. It's mighty hot out there. Today, I welcome uh, Richard Grossinger to the show. He's the uh, founding publisher of North Atlantic Books. He has a PhD in anthropology from the University of Michigan and is the author of several books himself on a variety of subjects, but many of them centered in the, in the nature of consciousness, the universe, the history of scientific and philosophical knowledge, and how our understanding of reality informs our individual and collective actions and indeed survival. His latest book um, is called Bottoming Out the Universe, why there is something rather than nothing. And that's the subject of today's show. So it's a great pleasure to welcome psycho-spiritual explorer Richard Grossinger to today's show. Welcome, Richard. Thank you. So we can't do it, can we? We can't bottom out the universe, right? There's sort of a tongue-in-cheek title. Uh, it is a tongue-in-cheek title, but, you know, when you said we can't do it, I realized that we're up against some much more local problems that we can't seem to do much with either. But yeah, I called it bottoming out the universe because I was speaking about the somewhat arrogant um, presumption of science, especially physical science, that this is something that's possible to do. Um, and. I think that physicists only believe that because they look at the objective appearance of the universe as being the only thing that actually exists. And of course, when we say bottoming out in this context, we're referring to some kind of unified field theory, or, you know, a theory of everything, right? That can finally uh, tell us exactly, you know, how it all began and, and how it all makes sense and, and a nice little box kind of thing. And, right. uh, and you're saying that, that that's an impossibility, right? It's, it certainly would be from our level of understanding, it would seem, you know, because uh, it's it's hard to encapsulate the infinite if you're a finite being, right? No matter no matter how many posits you put out there in, in philosophical frameworks, you're, you're still moving around in the dark, so to speak. Yeah, I think that would be true in any case, but it's especially true 
because of the issues arising from our own being, from our state of beingness. Somehow that has to be worked into any bottoming out, not only because it's there, but because it's the tool we're using to bottom it out. So we're really operating outside of any context, especially when scientifically we claim to have concepts which encompass the whole, the whole of reality. You know, there's a song by the, uh, the country music or Americana music uh, person, Iris DeMent, you know, where she talks about uh, the, the philosophical understandings of what the universe is all about. And, and uh, she ends up with saying, I'm just going to let it go and let the mystery be, you know. And there's something comforting about that, right? It's not a cop-out, is it, to allow the, the, the mysteriousness of the universe to be what it is, right, rather than trying to have to fathom it or put it, put it in a system, right? Right, and letting it be doesn't mean stopping your own inquiry. Um, you can inquire and go into it as deeply as you want um, without, without presuming that you're like arcing towards an answer or a solution. Right. So um, this is very abstruse for many people. You know, they might say, well, this is nice, but it's kind of esoteric. You know, how, how is it helping me right now with COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, the, the state of the union, uh, you know, where we are in, in this country and in the world, to be fair, um, it, you know, it, is it relevant? So how would you, how would you respond to them? Because I know you're very involved with um, with current events and, and you have a book, I think you've edited on approaches to COVID-19, right? So he's, obviously you're not just the an ivory tower philosopher here. The, this is this is the real world, right? Yeah. Um... It's a big question, and trying to answer it would encompass more than more than the show, obviously, and more than my voice and your voice. But I I would say that that it's rather remarkable that in the short time since I finished this book, and I really was still writing the last pieces of it earlier this year, and now is a gulf, an almost immeasurable gulf in terms of where we are um, in, as a species, as a civilization, and in the U.S. as, uh, as a culture. Everything has changed um, dramatically. And to, my, to myself, I would write very differently now. But... The fact is that the big picture, the so-called big picture, where, wh what, what is the framework for all this that's happening? And what kind of meaning does it have for us? And also what tools, what innate spiritual tools, emotional tools do we have for addressing problems which are so profound and, and so entangled with each other that they're mind-boggling. Um, and that, I think, begins in trying to, trying to locate ourselves 
and trying to work from the inside out. And I, in, in that book, I don't presume anything more than each person sort of saying, what is, who am I? What am I? How did I get to be here? Um, and given the nature of my situation, what's my capacity to contribute to, to change and understanding and healing? Uh, it's, my book is certainly not a neutral philosophical or cosmological proposition. I ask the questions of how, I, and I guess two of the chapters, I know it so well by now, I know it's like chapter five and, and I, guess, um, I guess the last chapter, how to, oh no, the, the chapter on the algorithm, worshiping the algorithm. How, how do we, um, how do we even talk about consciousness? And COVID didn't exist at the time, but I raised issues about the Islamic State, uh, about nuclear weapons, about climate. Um, what role does understanding the nature of our consciousness and where we're located in, in or outside of space and time, how does that inform us in going forward and not just flailing around or, or adding to the polarizations that already exist or the kind of stuck karma that, that so much of the world is in? Well, from, you know, the nubbins of the book or what I take from it, maybe that's not the nubbins, but it's what I take from it is, you know, that ancient discourse, which is very relevant today, you know, whether consciousness is self-arising, you know, has always existed, or that it, it comes from, you know, the, the sophistication of the unfoldment of matter. And, um, you know, if, if it's the the, the former, which which we would subscribe to in in um, in unity, of course, you know that we believe that you know life is consciousness. Um, you know that that makes a whole different uh, viewpoint, doesn't it? In terms of our ability to uh, effect change, right? Because uh, you know, unfortunately, if you if you see yourself as as just a uh, you know an aspect of materialism. Then it's part of the, the the old problem, it seems, that has got us here in the first place, right? Of um, which algorithms are just a little more sophisticated form of of, uh, of mind control, if you like. And and it seems these movements, um, the the shifts that's you know attempting to happen right now, is is a healthy thing in a way, isn't it? It's it's saying enough, you know. I don't I don't want to buy into um, you know these old these old ways of looking at things. You know, however sophisticatedly and and um, you know they fool us into thinking that uh, they're they are offering freedoms to us when in, in fact perhaps they're not. You know, and and maybe Trump. Uh, we can't talk about pol politics on the show, but um, we we've had a president now that's you know used the word fake news a lot, and um, you know in in a sense. Um, Maybe this idea of fake news uh, has has woken us all up, right? Because I think people are tired. You know, what what, what is real and what isn't, so to speak. That's a long-winded uh, statement, yeah. but maybe you can grab it, something from it. 
I stopped counting the questions in it at about six. <laughs> I, and I, I, Pick I, one, anyone, it's okay. Uh, well, holding on to the, the first question, just because I marked that in my mind, um, I think that consciousness as being self-arising and creating the universe, beingness right, is right. creating the universe, and the universe as arising materially from like quarks and energetic forces and then atoms and molecules, that, that those, um, I mean, part of the point of my book was to say that these are in some ways the same thing, that in the complex picture of the whole, um, the material evolution and manifestation of the universe is a direct effect of our own beingness within that arising. And the two kind of merge together. Um, I, I don't want to pose it as some sort of progressive or evolutionary thing because that's too easy. But there is there is a way in which um, in which the as spirit enters matter, matter becomes spirit, or matter appears as the reflection of spirit in its own um, in its own uh, gaze or in its own witnessing. And a lot of my book is trying to show the holes in a material view and show in a sense where we peer through at ourselves peering in. And we realize that we're in a situation over which we have a lot more, not control, but a lot more creative ability to shift and change what's manifesting. Uh, but I don't want to go, the, the, I see the rabbit hole coming up and <laughs> it is, and I don't want to go down that without addressing the one other question that stuck out at the end of what you said, which is, oh, and this is a really central issue in the COVID anthology, um, you, you have, I mean, to go, uh, I, I approach with, um, you know, sort of a feeling of unease, um, you know, hold your nose and approach it, the fake news idea. But as long as you brought it up and I didn't, I will say that obviously the denial of science, like in climate change denying and other things, that that, that is its own fake news. But science, and this is lies at the core of my book, science has become so politicized and so made into a religion. And I don't mean pure science in the old um, Greek or medieval sense, but I mean, I mean modern science, that there almost isn't science without a political agenda. And the uneducated, um, whatever you want to call it, the uneducated right-wing opposers and denialists instinctively sense that they are being had by knowledge, by, by the turning of knowledge into power and the use of that power against them. 
whether it's in the change in the industrial base that's robbed them of their jobs or the material the material the way in which materialism blends with capitalism to take away not just religion in a fundamentalist sense but to take away spirit that there's this intuition of that so all this all this garbage comes out as bias and um, anti-scientism and um, and rather ugly ugly um, racist and sexist responses but it's authentic to its own sense of disenfranchisement and and lostness in a universe that uh, be, that they people sense is being created um, beyond their beyond their right and beyond their power to con to control uh, again control is not the right word create is what i would use and you get this in the covid 19 um, um information of all sorts have you ever seen anything about which there's so much contradictory information what causes people to get it how serious is it why are certain cases serious? Who gets it and who doesn't? But then more to the point, how do you treat it? The entire domain of alternative medicine, ranging from marginally allopathic treatments, which have been declared off, off grounds um, because they've become associated with one political form or another, to the more common alternative forms like homeopathy, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, all of which have substantial roles to play in other cultures in treating plagues and other diseases, and for that matter, even spiritual and energetic medicines, these have been made ludicrous by a progressive um, a progressive scientific democratic political force that I otherwise identify with as regards social justice, racial justice, and, uh, and international cooperation. And if that's not too entangled, what I'm trying to say is that there is no pure, pure, true news or true political position it's all it's all been corrupted and so this is this is like a tower of babel moment when um we have as big a problem digging ourselves out of the mess that we've the the mess of mind and spirit and and um exploitative thought that we've wound around ourselves as we do out of the physical and biological problems. And COVID has just um, paralyzed us in a way in, into, into our um, into almost insoluble positions. And I'm trying to say that without um, stepping over the boundary and saying anything too political or saying anything which I'm not sure what the show's boundary is, so I'm perhaps being a little bit too abstract and vague. And no, I, I think you're, you're okay. You know, we, we, we are a, a non-profit um, 
entity. And so, you know, we're a religious and, and spiritual entity. So we, we can't be political. But of course, we can discuss, um, you know, relevant things that are happening in our society. We just we can't have rhetoric around, you know, telling people what they how they should vote or whatever or saying one side's bad you know because i and I, what i'm hearing you say too is is that you know both sides are frustrated you know they may they may have different reasons for that and different ways of expressing it but but it's an inherent frustration and um that need, that needs to be investigated right and and uh, articulated so rather than choosing off one side or the other which may may not be you know ultimately helpful so yeah, so, so no, I think we're fine in in that regard. We just um, well, you know, my, want to avoid saying that you know this side's better than the other, whatever. Um, yeah, my point but, you is, know, case, case in point here, Richard. You know, last night I was talking with my my um, son-in-law, and um, he's a professor of uh, geology. And um, you know, I said that you were going to be on the show, and and uh, he he you know being the student that he is, he. Uh, he, a scholarly person that he is, he, he looked you up, and um, and but then he found out, oh my goodness, you know, this guy's into psychic healing and UFOs and alien intelligence and this, that, and the other, and and he was, you know, he's ready to sort of say, well, I can't really go along with him because he's into some woo-woo stuff, um, you know, and and you know, the book is mixed up in that way, isn't it? It has, you know, it's got the elegance of these full of philosophical systems but then you you talk about reincarnation and and you know multi-dimensions and and so, you know some of some things that may be dismissed in some quarters as sort of new agey right so so how, how do you get over how do you get around that you know that the, the, the things can be dismissed because oh well this isn't this isn't a serious um investigation into you know uh, consciousness and and science that this is getting into some of those more esoteric subjects well bringing your brother-in-law back into it i think what i'd say to him is that none of those topics do i really address from the standpoint of being into them like take ufos i'm not into ufos per se right curious about the phenomenon uh, at, at so many levels. Uh, and one of the levels would be uh, that there actually is a phenomenon that's been observed. Uh, it's been recently confirmed by government sources. So what is that phenomenon? I happen to not think that it's aliens from other worlds. I think it's more a borderline phenomenon between matter and consciousness or between, and I use the word somewhat metaphorically, between dimensions that don't completely mesh together, the, the mm -hmm. dimensional tension uh, at the edge of our world. And again, these are just words, um, uh, but there's a way, there, there's a there's a danger to not being into topics that actually exist because then you sort of closed yourself off into a, into a bubble worldview, which becomes its own fundamentalism. As far my book does have a great deal to do with reincarnation in the sense that I talk about um, 
the countless cases, documented cases of past life memories, which check out when they're close enough, when, when the two lifetimes are close enough together. And I don't say this person died and then was reborn as that person. In fact, I explicitly say that there's got to be another another range of explanation, a far more complex set of explanations, because in fact, the, there it isn't as though a prior person suddenly comes back to life with all the memories of another person, but they do have fragments of that other person's life, and they often have birthmarks that represent um, wounds, sometimes death wounds in the other person, so there's clearly a phenomenon of some sort happening. And if you don't want to call it reincarnation, which I, again, try to avoid in the book by looking for other, other maybe not other explanations, but for more complex realities, the sorts of realities that exist when uh, you consider that time, time itself may be artificial. So the notion of chronological lives may be artificial and different manifestations of the same being or soul may be occurring simultaneously. And our sense of a world of, of space and time and matter may be a projection of, of, of our own state of beingness and our, our trajectory through something, rather than some sort of absolute reality in which we're created molecularly and come to exist for a time and then don't exist forever. Right, yep, I agree. We're at the break. Um, I think this is particularly true, you know, when you look at babies, because uh, we teach babies to, to live in a linear, you know, time-space continuum kind of thing. But I, I don't think they're there initially. You know, they're in an undifferentiated uh, dimension beyond uh, what we what we want them to be. So we train them to be that way, and, and uh, so that's always interesting. Seeing we learn a lot, I think, by looking at babies and, and young children. You know, to see where reality lies in a way. But that, that's another subject. We're at the break, folks. Uh, let's uh, take. Um, um, few minutes to listen to these messages from unity i'll be back with richard grossinger talking about his book bottoming out the universe why there is something rather than nothing join us in a couple of minutes Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. 
So hello and welcome back to today's show. I'm with uh, Richard Grossinger and we're talking about his book, Bottoming Out the Universe, Why There is Something Rather Than Nothing. And it really fits in very nicely, I would say, to our unity viewpoint, which is a fairly open-ended and open-minded viewpoint around the nature of the universe and, and uh, the, the, the nature of consciousness and the fact that consciousness permeates everything. And what I particularly like about the book is what we mentioned in the, the closing of the first segment, and, and that is the interpenetration of so many things. You know, the, they say there are, you know, multi-dimensions, right? Even the scientists, the, the rational scientists, you know, refer to string theory and M theory and, and all the various dimensions of, of dimensional realities that might be out there. But this appeals to me because it makes sense to my... Uh, mystical understanding through, you know, meditation or whatever, that that there are all, all these connections, right? And, and that we we settle for uh, a sort of a humdrum reality, but really it's it's quite magnificent. And uh, and and I think that comes through in the book, right? That uh, ultimately it's a place of wonders. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's sort of a I think that that's kind of a quasi question there, and I what I what I think <laughs> is that I hate that. Sorry, I will ask a real that, question next time. <laughs> okay. The um, what I what I think is that uh, is that all of these scientific theories and models at the edge, and I write to this point are. They're both real in mathematical and and um, sort of physical terms, insofar as we understand atomic theory and so forth. But they also are metaphors, uh, and the consciousness movements and and related kind of new agey, whatever you want to dub them kind of adopt them as if they're habitable in and of themselves. But they're really not habitable. In a, there's no way to go into a black hole or to cross dimensions. There are psychic states that one can explore. But overall, the world as we know it, the world with COVID, the world with um, the Black Lives Matter movement, the world of, um, of the Middle East, and it's multiple levels of conflict and ideological uh, interaction. This is also a complex manifestation of the spirit realm that we see reflected in quantum theory or, uh, or um, any other M theory. But I mean, I'm not a physicist. I, I'm a metaphor maker myself when it comes to these things, but I don't think that there's any um, that the theories or the models or their spiritual counterparts are separable from the conditions in the world that it generates them and that they are generated by. And so going back to your earlier much earlier question that you raised, I think we do have to address the world simultaneously as it is, the secular world as it is, the political and economic world, and 
and the world of the virus, uh, there's no choice but to address it. But at the same time, not to miss the fact that this is also a manifestation of the nature of being and of the spiritual and conscious uh, energies, vibrations, again, language kind of fails, that underlie it. And that it in itself is an expression of a deep spiritual change. I, I think it, in that um, coronavirus anthology, the, I have my own piece in which I argue that it does, this doesn't look like the beginning of the Aquarian age. It's not the beginning we wanted, but we don't get to choose the beginning and we don't get to choose how deep into the darkness the universe has to go to find its own density and texture and to find the, a light that is finally worth, um, worth shining through this world. So the difficulties that present themselves are finally spiritual difficulties. They're, they're not just physical difficulties for which there's a spiritual or metaphysical escape. Or, um, likewise, the quantum models equally apply to what's happening in Syria. That is also a, 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 an event filled with quantum uncertainties. And I'd use the four-letter word that's used, but I'm not sure what the rule is, so I won't. Begins, okay. with, begins with cluster, though. Yeah, okay. I get your drift. Well, there's an interesting chapter called Trauma and Redemption, and um, I found it interesting, you know, being a minister for many years, you, you're dealing with a lot, a lot of brokenness often, and um, and rather than that be a problem, you know, because we label it, I've got to get well, but you've got to be whole again and everything, um, sometimes that can um, jettison us forward, right? And I'm not saying we should all therefore suffer terribly, because that'll be a great boost to our spiritual development but there there are compensations right and and i think you mentioned you know savants the people who are skilled in one area you know may may be uh, lacking in others um uh, that some are autistic or whatever on, the, on on that spectrum and and yet you know can do amazing things so that there's in other words there's a compensatory power at work here um so that that's interesting to me, you know, the the idea that out of our brokenness can come forward something remarkable, right? And and maybe that's what we're seeing birthing right now. You know, it, it's it's not very pleasant to to exist within this, but but on the other hand, what else was going to break us out of the trance? It seems we've been in this trance for many years, you know, endlessly. Um, adding more and more rather than understanding why, you know, what we're doing and et cetera. So um, that to me, that's hopeful, you know, that, that uh, it can come in in an infinity of ways, right? Well, you raise, in terms of my book, you raise two separate issues. One, the issue of idiot savants and, um, and knowledge that um, comes seemingly from mysterious sources. I, I discussed early in the book when talking about the role of the brain in either forming consciousness or tuning 
into consciousness which is formed elsewhere, outside of us. And, and the way in which the, the brain itself is not a good definite, is not a good um, um, marker or definition or, or um, shape for the kinds of um, information that, that, that comes out of it. And then in a very different part of the book, um, several chapters later, I go into conventional views of trauma and how, um, how tra healing trauma involves going back, in a sense, to the source of the trauma. And I rate the possibility that if the trauma um, transcends the, our lifetime, and I, I, I've come to feel that it does, uh, many I've had many suicides in my own family that have led me to think about some sort of ancestral trauma and the, and the notion that there are, um, I, well, I'll use the word karma with the understanding that it's overused. So I'll say there are karmic forces, but there also are simply trans-historical events uh, uh, meta-events that transcend certainly ordinary history and transcend our lifetimes, and that maybe some of the things that people and civilizations and, um, and countries grapple with is a kind of accumulated effect in which, um, in which we have to transform or play a part in transforming something that's much larger than we can conceive. So that spiritual practice is in a way like traumatic practice. It's going into the darkness, into the depth, and into the unknown in order to try and touch um, the source energy that's generating um, not only the dilemmas we face, but the very nature, the very world we're in the the wondrous and mysterious world that we're in and that that fits in very well folks if you were listening to my show on deep river a few weeks ago or even if you haven't uh listened to it yet i invite you to do so because that shares many of the themes that richard just talked about uh the, this search in the darkness and in the depth you know it's called deep river it's about five japanese uh People have all experienced traumas in some degree or other. Uh, they're looking for something transcendent, in, and they end up in in Varanasi in in India and um, have varying degrees of epiphany. Um, but in the book, it references um, Ian Stevenson that uh, Richard also references in terms of uh, stories about. Uh, reincarnation, past lives, people remembering th certain things, which is a thread right through the book. Um, and again, it, it, it's, it makes sense to me because it's this idea of interconnectedness and, and the fact that it can be inter we can be interconnected, you know, uh, lifetime after lifetime is a fascinating subject too, right? That, um, and it definitely leads into, um, you know, collective trauma uh, for... Um, people of color, for instance, uh, you know, because some people, some apologists will say, well, that little baby, 
that little white girl didn't do anything to that little black boy. You know, this is nonsense. We shouldn't be thinking about this. We should let it all go. Well, that's a kind of a simplistic reading, isn't it? Because uh, th these uh, these threads continue at various levels, um, you know, for, for a long, long time. They can't just be eradicated with with a with sort of a, a sweet um, dismissal, right? Well, it goes back to your first question, which is why did I call the book "Bottoming Out the Universe"? And you said, well, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, and, and I do say that in the book. I say, I called it bottoming out the universe because I can't bottom out the universe. I can't even begin to. But what I can do is play off that notion and say, look, there is a bigger picture, and physics, um, physics theory of, of everything or the way in which... Uh, science tries to tie things together and uses as its demonstration the vast power of a technological civilization, that that is a fraction of the real complication of reality. And we're all in this kind of bubble reality that we've created. Um, Seth, um, the kind of spirit intelligence I refer to throughout the book, refers to it as a camouflage reality. And all I'm saying is that our greater hope and our possibility and potential lie in recognizing that there is a bigger picture, that we're part of the bigger picture, and that our actions and our thoughts and our intentions matter. And they matter not just insofar as they relate to present things, they matter in the old butterfly's wings in Tokyo sense, in that they send out, they send out energies, vibrations, waves, that then intersect with other waves and produce, produce changes and little jumps and meaning shifts within the whole. And it's certainly a moment to look at that, given that so much has has gone wrong. And I'm not even talking about just about the obvious, because um, the COVID and the and the um, civilizational and social unrest enter a world of, of violence, power, greed, um, of the the use of weaponry and money to control populations and control access to resources, the turning of people into resources. It's, it, from a spiritual standpoint, it's a, a shocking indictment of, of us as beings and of our species. But on the other hand, in the bigger picture, it's simply true. It's simply where we are. And unless we believe in a kind of dualistic universe in which there's evil and we're being overtaken by negative forces and by, and by some sort of demonic entity, we have to believe that contained within all of these problems and conflicts are the seeds of our own self-discovery. And the reasons these have come, as you said, is to give us an opportunity. I don't know what that what form that opportunity will take, 
but I count on the fact that there are people who will recognize it, people who have um, far more um, kind of subtlety and psychic awareness than I do to help to help us collectively convert it into the next thing. Well, you know, I like uh, Nicholas Decuse's, uh, the, he was a medieval mystic, and he said, you know, he talked about the coincidence of opposites, um, which is an interesting phrase. And, but I, I like that because inherent in, uh, you know, non-dualism um, is, is this idea of the two resting together, you know, uh, form is emptiness, emptiness is form, and, and both are important, right? They're both, I think they're both self-arising. I'm I'm very in, into Hinduism and and uh, the image of of Shiva and Shakti, you know, the poten the cosmic divine potential, and the cosmic energy of of those two together, the male and the female, creates the universe. So it's it's not as if we we need to get rid of you know uh, the illusion or the the energy the the. The, the manifestation so we can come back to reality. No, the reality is in itself, uh, you know, both and. They, 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 they was, there wasn't the potential before the manifestation and vice versa, right? They, they, they play with each other. And, and to enter into that, I think, is very rich and important, actually. Otherwise, we're, we're sort of checking out in some way, you know, when we're not being involved. And I think part of the, our agreement to be on planet Earth is you know, I'm going to be involved, right? Well, I agree. And and since we're talking about the book, and, and this is so much, these issues reach out and encompass so much more than, than like any book, really. What I would say is my reason for writing the book was to go directly at the heart of science and all of its uh, possibilities and, and explanations. And at the same time to go at the heart of the kind of Hindu and Buddhist and other Ayusethian realities that are proposed, to go at them simultaneously and to try and show how there isn't really ultimately a difference. We are, we are where we are in, in all of these things together, and that if we're going to bottom out the universe or pretend to bottom out the universe, we have to bottom it all out together. And we have to bottom, and we have to begin to, to recognize exactly the kinds of, um, of balances and interacting forces that stretch from physical to non-physical reality at the same time. And I simply, I simply give a version of it which is somewhat political, somewhat pop cultural, somewhat scientific, somewhat um, psychic. And that's kind of been my imprint going back uh, to the origin of when I began writing. I, I began in a literary tradition of people like um, whether you go back to the to the metaphysical poets or the romantic poets or to writers like D.H. Lawrence or Melville or more recently Charles Olson and you just ask 
you, you try and ask big questions of the civilization. And I think that you, in a book like this, I'm really asking with Yeats or with Matthew Arnold or with, uh, with Nathaniel Hawthorne or anyone else who, who essentially, even the writer you, you mentioned of, of Deep River, who I didn't know before you mentioned him, I'm kind of I'm kind of saying that part part of the art of of living and the art of writing is to engage with these mysteries and have the book that you create be a form of the mystery rather than an account or a description it is it is actually the mystery forming in the words I like that and you know the last chapter is called undumbing the universe, which is basically what, what you're saying, I think, is that, you know, that the, there is so much to explore, so much to enjoy, even in the midst of all the difficulties that, you know, d don't dumb the universe or yourself down, right? Um, it, it, be an explorer, like T.S. Eliot said, you know, old men should be explorers and uh, young men, young women, all of us, uh, you know, I think it's wise to stay um, open. I, I, I want to continue to keep learning, unfolding, be teachable, right? As long as I live, and um, and, and yeah, it's sure. incredibly important, you know, to have to have that curiosity about uh, life. And if we have a system where we think, oh, I understand everything now, that, that's a sad day, I think. Yeah, and and I think anybody who says that that, that that's where they are. Is um, is lying either to you or to themselves or both, because nobody's comfortable, nobody's in a comfortable situation, and um, the, some of the most powerful people, uh, by ordinary standards, or some of the most some of the most powerful people are the most uncomfortable in their power, and some of the most knowledgeable people are the most um, most uneasy and 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 frightened and either depressed or 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 in some way lost in their knowledge and and nobody's admit, and people are generally not admitting it are we ever in an era of of bravado and of name calling and uh, and uh, declarations of um, righteousness from people who have anything like confidence that they actually even know what they are or are talking about. Um, right. And again, I want to skirt the political here. Was it Anne Sexton that said, is there no way out of the mind? You know, and I think that was shortly before she committed suicide. And I think that, you know, the existential funk that many people are in, you know, is part of our modern society, right? You know, you, you reference waiting for Godot in the book and, and uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of that sort of uh, helplessness. And Sri uh, uh, Punjaji, who was a teacher back in India in the 80s and 90s, said nothing ever existed is the ultimate truth. And um, you could look at that in a negative way, you know, then nothing, it's all, it's all nothing. But it's also saying nothing ever existed. In other words, 
out of this nothing comes everything, right? And and um, it is, so it like, can they nest in each other? It's it's a conundrum. But it, and you mentioned this in the book. You know, you talk about nothing and everything and something and whatever. I quote John. I quote John Friedlander, a psychic who I've studied with, who says science has it backwards when it says that it's all real but meaningless. In mm -hmm. fact, it is real, but it's incredibly meaningful. Yes. And, um, and I write about his notion of a mud run, as uh, he talks about those people who pay to run through freezing cold mud and run through an obstacle course. And he says, that's what the soul did. The soul was, you know, the soul could have hung out in a motel room and listened to music and watched other people doing a mud run on television. But instead, it said, I want to I want to do this. I want to try this out. And in a sense, he says, that's what life is. It's a mud run for the soul. It's not it's not comfortable. And as is evident in Buddhist thought, um, it's it leads to suffering eventually anyway, everywhere, even even through things that are anything but suffering, that are joys. And yet um, this is this is the nature of the situation that we're in and and it so it is nothing but it's a very meaningful nothing we're all in the we're all on the mud run folks um, yeah. hold that thought for a second and i'll say what who's coming up next week and then we can say goodbye to richard next week uh, regenerative designer ariane burgess joins me and she's going to talk about her new book life design for women conscious living in a as a force for positive change so be nice i think link in with today's show right now though thank you so much i could talk for another several hours richard but thank you very much for being with us thank you paul thank you for inviting me to talk with you and on Thanks your show. for listening folks bye-bye now bye Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA Unity ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 